Welcome back to our Mark series and um, last week we finished off where Jesus was being confronted by the religious leaders outside the temple and they were questioning his authority saying where does it come from and, and we know that Jesus somewhat kind of did a bit of a jujitsu thing and turned the question over to them and didn't really seem to answer. I want to just uh, put that back into your mind and your, in your memory because what we read right now is going to follow on from uh, those events. So we're picking up from Mark chapter 12. Uh, we're starting with verses 1 to 12 and it says this, Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a, a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Uh, he was collecting this. This was probably part of their contract, their arrangement. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants, and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken a parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. This is a hard-hitting parable. And interestingly, often when Jesus spoke in parables, his true meaning was concealed. And when he was alone with his disciples, he would unpack it so that they would understand. But in this particular case, when Jesus spoke the message, the religious leaders immediately knew this parable is about us. So let's dive into uh, this parable and see some of the elements uh, that Jesus used to craft this story that had a meaning behind it. The introduction that Jesus gives for this parable is actually really familiar uh, to those who um, are Jewish because it comes with a lot of parallels to Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, uh, we read this song uh, that is called the Song of the Vineyard. And in that particular song, uh, God is seen to have uh, planted this vineyard. He, he digs up the land, He clears the land, He plants the vineyard and He puts a watchtower in it. So we can see that perhaps Jesus was using that same imagery so that people would actually remember what this whole vineyard business was all about. In that particular uh, song in Isaiah chapter 5, God was looking for fruit in Israel. Uh, the vineyard represented Israel. God was looking for fruit from it during harvest time, but he could not find good fruit. Now, in this parable, this time round, um, we see that the master has rented out the vineyard to some other farmers. And in this case, the farmers are the tenants, um, are the religious leaders. And 
these religious leaders, their whole predisposition when it came to this vineyard is that we want to control this vineyard. We want to continue having power over this vineyard. We want all of its fruit and we want it for ourselves. And so when the master came to demand his portion, his rightful portion of the vineyard, these farmers uh, really did some terrible stuff. They, 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 they beat up, they treated these servants shamefully and even killed some of them. And um, what that is supposed to uh, uh, parallel is that in the history of Israel, the prophets who are seen as the servants of God were often uh, severely mistreated and, and sometimes beaten, thrown in jail, treated extremely shamefully and sometimes even killed. And so this is definitely mirroring what has happened in Israel's history. And what we need to re recognize here is that there is a, a principle for us to understand when it comes to leadership. You see, in, in our world today, leaders are often seen to be the strong, confident, the ones who, who have power and authority. But the way that God looked at these people who tried to keep power and tried to keep authority was that he saw them as really evil people. They did not understand that the vineyard was not theirs to keep it was meant to be stewarded and that is something that us as leaders need to recognize that we are being given a, a patch uh, to steward and and is not ours in fact I, I like to be really clear for myself at many times with live that as much as I have the title of lead pastor or sometimes people call me the senior pastor but really I see that this church is not Nate's church it's not Beck's church it is God's church I need to remember that in my prayer times I'm like God this this is your church what is it that you want to do and in the same way when it comes to your families or your workplaces or wherever you have influence and therefore leadership it is a great thing to remember God how do you want me to use my time and my effort I'm not gonna steal power and use power for myself I am simply stewarding what you have placed in my care for this season anyway what happens in this parable is that after all those mistreatment of the master's servants, the master sends his son, the son whom he loves, which Jesus very like. Jesus is the one giving the parable. He's the one speaking about himself and he knows that the father loves him. How powerful is that little thought? Anyway, there's also this uh, uh, sense that Jesus was answering the previous chapter's question. Where does your authority come from? He's saying, well, I'm the master's son and so I have authority. He kind of plays this off as though he has come into this place as the master's son, as a person with authority and claim over Israel. But the religious leaders are questioning him, where's your authority from and so that that kind of dynamic is also at play here when he's giving this uh, parable and the, par the, the parable continues the tenants kills the son believing that that would allow them to keep their power it's a, pro uh, it's a prophetic declaration of what is soon to be taking place and, and, and therefore Jesus declares that the tenants will be removed and new tenants put in place. He then quotes Psalm 118 verses 22 to 23 about the cornerstone and this psalm is actually a, a very apt psalm, a very important psalm because remember Jesus is now in Jerusalem about to celebrate the Passover festival and it is during this time that Psalm 118 would have been read out every single year. 
is an a very important psalm around the Passover, helping the the Israelites reflect on God and and, and their history and and all of that included in 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 what is the longest psalm in all of. Uh, the Bible, in fact, the longest chapter in the whole Bible. And so this famous scripture is one that the religious leaders would probably have known by heart, having to recite it year after year. And yet Jesus shows them that even though they have this knowledge, even though they have this, this, this words in their head, they did not understand the heart behind it. And and he condemns them for not understanding, for not seeing and not responding to God's word and God's revelation. And the one thing that they do understand, though, is that they represent the tenants in the parable. And interestingly, that understanding that they are the tenants led them to respond um, in a way that would fulfill the parable. They started to, uh, well, not started because they had already started, but they continued on their plans with their plans to kill Jesus. Interesting, Jesus speaks this parable out against them, saying you don't understand your position uh, and what is taking place. They hear that, they get angry, and they therefore want to fulfill the parable. Very interesting. And this comes back to how revelation requires a response from us. We either lean in and follow God's ways fully, or we reject it. In our lives, we can have this head knowledge about God and His ways, but we, it doesn't mean that simply receiving that means that we will be automatically living out that ways. Being able to quote Scripture doesn't mean that you are living Scripture. And what God is asking for is not that we uh, hear the Word alone, but that we hear and obey what He is saying to us. We have to ask ourselves from time to time, evaluating our lives, are we living according to the revelation we have received or have we received but we don't really hear we don't really understand and we are responding in the opposite way to what God is intending for us well let's continue in Mark chapter 12 verses 13 to 17 and it says this later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch Jesus in his own words they came to him and said teacher we know that you are a man of integrity you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not should we pay or shouldn't we but Jesus knew the hypocrisy why are you trying to trap me he said Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he said to them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So the religious leaders try a new, tra- a new tact. Instead of going according to uh, God's law, they are now going according to uh, the, the Roman law and hoping to catch him out with the Roman law. They're trying to find a legal way to get Jesus. And the way that they did it is to bring flattery first, to try to butter him up. They called Jesus a man of integrity. And that's interesting because it is 100% true. Jesus isn't swayed by others, but he holds fast to God's ways. We need to beware of those who would use the truth about you to manipulate you to their designs. Flattery puts your guard down, makes you think that they are truly for you. But Jesus immediately knew this hypocrisy. 
And in that way, they stand as complete opposite to Jesus, the man of integrity. They would use uh, uh, manipulation. They would use flattery to try to manipulate and, and use people that are not living according to the standards by which they, they held other people to. But Jesus is a man of integrity. We can see the opposites here. And Jesus states, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And this is an interesting thing that we need to understand. Uh, in our day and age, in our democratic day and age, with, with our personal rights and all of that, we need to understand that our obligation to God and our obligation to the country and state that we live in are not necessarily in opposition. God, of course, always takes priority in our lives, and uh, but Jesus is affirming the legitimacy of human governance uh, government and the principle of taxation in particular here. It's interesting that uh, the Pharisees had these Roman uh, currency uh, uh, readily available. They used it for their personal use, but they never saw it as Caesar's. Uh, uh, Rome had created this way for them to live um, with probably um, enjoying a lot of the lifestyles that the Roman Empire had established there in Israel, but still uh, they wanted to fight against it. And we need to understand that uh, the Jewish people saw the Romans as the enemy. They were uh, uh, occupying the holy land of God and it was their right to kick them out. But in this way, Jesus is saying, hey, they are the legitimate human government of this day and age. And this kind of throws us back to the parable that we started with, with the tenants. Remember, Jesus said that God was going to remove uh, the old tenants and install new tenants. Was he saying uh, that the Romans were the new tenants because they would actually take better care of the vineyard than the religious leaders would? I, I don't know for sure, but that certainly was an interesting thought when I, when I was preparing this uh, particular message. It was that sense of like, wow, the people that know God's word could not look after um, the vineyard as well as um, a pagans could. <laughs> I think that is sometimes something that we as Christians in Australia need to work on. That simply because we know God and we know the Word of God does not make us better leaders than other people. If we would take godly principles and not live them out, if we are receiving the revelation of God but not living it out, other people can also live according to amazingly uh, highly moral principles and do a better job than we can. We, we often in, in, in our study of Mark, we, we decry the religious leaders. We, we know that they are terrible people. But today, when we look at ourselves, what do we see? Are we living out our godly principles and shining a light uh, to the well as we are meant to? Or are uh, pagan people actually doing a better job of looking after the, 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 the oppressed, looking after uh, the, the environment, looking after uh, uh, the, those, those that are poor and, and vulnerable? Are, are we as a church doing better uh, than, than those that are, don't know God? We, we actually do need to ask ourselves these questions every now and then because perhaps God has every right in fact in his viewpoint perhaps it is better that he finds tenants that are able to live out according to high standards than Christians do just having the title of Christian does not make you a better person 
Having the title Christian does not make you a better leader, although it gives us the potential to. And that's the challenge that we have to ask ourselves, am I going to live out and learn godly principles in order that I can outwork the kingdom of God wherever I am? All right, let's move on to the next section, which is another challenge by the religious leaders in Mark chapter 12, 18 to 27. It says this, Then the Sadducees, who say that uh, uh, there is no resurrection, by the way, the Sadducees only believe that the Mosaic books are, uh, are scripture. So that's the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's just um, a fact. Uh, the, uh, the Sadducees only believe in that. Uh, and they don't believe in the resurrection because of Moses doesn't speak about the resurrection they came to jesus with a question teacher they said moses wrote for us that if a brother's if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother now there were seven brothers the first one married and died without leaving any children the second one married a widow but he also died leaving no child it's the same with the third in fact none of the seven left any children last of all the woman died too and the resurrection whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her jesus replied are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of god when the dead rise they will neither marry nor be given in marriage they will be like angels in heaven now about the dead rising have you not read in the book of Moses that the only books that you believe is um, uh, God's word in the account of the burning bush how God said to him I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob he's not the God of the dead but of the living you are badly mistaken in this challenge Jesus corrects the wrong understanding of the Sadducees they were coming to try to trap him and show him that his understanding of the law and all of that wasn't that great um, and um, and, and they challenge Jesus about the resurrection, even though they don't even believe about the resurrection. And they brought their understanding of what is called leverage, uh, marriage, which is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 to 6. So that is uh, something that Moses did write about uh, to teach the Israelites about keeping uh, the family name. Um, and, and Jesus explains that the resurrection isn't just simply a return to what was before. It is a resurrection to a new age. One of these things, one of the things that will be of the old age, which really is this current age when we talk about it, is marriage. Marriage is not going to continue on uh, in the resurrection. Uh, the resurrection is going to be a glorified existence that our minds cannot fully comprehend. And the Bible does not give us the exact clarity about what uh, this resurrected life is going to look like, except that it's going to be better. Better than we can imagine it's going to be greater than we can imagine and, and so I, I've explained this passage before to, to people and said what I'm not going to be married when I resurrect then I don't want to go to heaven well that's a silly let me tell you your minds cannot comprehend all that God has in store for us in the resurrected age and um, as a church we're going to be exploring some of these ideas about uh, the afterlife about heaven about hell in our gatherings in the month of November, you can mark in your diary if you're excited about that. Because I am, it's the first time I'm attempting to, to teach about this. But I think it's really necessary for us to understand what the Bible teaches us about the afterlife. Anyway, in this particular passage, uh, Jesus explains to the Sadducees and to the crowds really and to us that the resurrected age is going to be different. 
Get ready, it's going to be different. Don't hold on to things in this age because in the next age, it is going to be different. Anyway, Jesus also goes on to state that God is not the God of the dead, but the living. Death to us today seems final, doesn't it? When a, when a person passes away, sadly, uh, and, and we are left with this um, sense of like finality about that person. But to God, our physical death is... It's only a point. It seems to just be this transition, if you will. God sees it very differently. All right, we have to murder on. Mark chapter 12, 28 to 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is actually a very hopeful section in the middle of all the challenges that Jesus was facing. One of the teachers of the law actually wanted to hear more from Jesus. And when he came with that heart and asked a genuine question, Realize that Jesus didn't speak in parables. Jesus didn't turn it around to, uh, to, to ask him, you are a teacher of the law, shouldn't you know about this? But it seems like Jesus knew that this man was genuine and searching uh, to follow God well. And so he gives him a very straight answer, summarizing all of the law and the prophets with these two statements, love the Lord with all, your, all of your heart, all your soul, mind, and strength. Now, some people would take that passage to show that us as human beings, we've got a, a heart, we've got a soul, we've got a mind, we've got strength, and they're separate parts of us. This is not what Jesus is intending in, in, in the Hebrew way of talking when they give these lists is to uh, showcase the, the totality, the wholeness of a person. You're not supposed to go, well, Jesus didn't talk about our emotions, does he? So maybe I don't have to follow God with my emotions. Or he doesn't talk about my body specifically so I can use my body for my own... No, 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 this is supposed to be your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's supposed to represent all of you. You're supposed to love God with all of yourself and then to love your neighbor as yourself as an outflowing of following God well. When you read the Old Testament, when you read the Law and the Prophets, understand that everything in there can be summarized in these two statements. It's helpful to see yeah, with those passages that seem to be a little bit obscure, what is going on? Well, what is it teaching us about loving God and loving our neighbor? That's a helpful way to, to, to kind of understand uh, some of the layers and the depths of the Old Testament today. Well, the teacher of the law um, then goes on to say uh, that, well, that's really uh, powerful to love God and to love your neighbor. Uh, these things are more important than any offering or sacrifice we can bring. He responded to hearing the revelation. He went, wow, yes, that is what God is truly looking for. Uh, to which Jesus states that this man wasn't far from the kingdom of God. He was moving and responding well to the revelation that he was given, which means that he was 
entering into the kingdom of God. This is a picture of what we need to be doing with the revelation that we receive. We need to respond to it. We need to activate it into our lives. And that is how uh, we move towards uh, the kingdom of God. Well, the questions have now stopped. And so Jesus now issues a challenge to the religious leaders. Mark 12, 35 to 37. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to him, My Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him, Lord, how then can he be his son? The large, the large crowd listened to him with delight. So Jesus quotes one of David's Psalms, Psalm 110, and here he quizzes the teachers of the law. And he says, how can the Messiah be David's son, which talks about a son is supposed to be, uh, I guess, lesser in stature at the very least. Uh, but David uses the term Lord, as, which is uh, talking about some of the greater status. How can David's son be greater than David? And uh, we can understand this because we understand that Jesus isn't just David's son. He, uh, or, or simply from David's line, he is also the son of God. And therefore calling him Lord is not only, uh, is, is the only right thing we could do. But Jesus challenges the religious leaders' understanding of the Messiah. They were thinking that this would just be a, another human being imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit to lead the nation of Israel. They, they weren't quite capturing and understanding that the Messiah was actually God's own son. Uh, and, and so Jesus um, uh, teaches them that. But very quickly then, uh, knowing that the, the people, uh, the religious leaders couldn't respond to that, he issues this warning in the next few verses. It says this in verse 38, as he, thought, uh, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. This brings back pictures of the tenants. Now, the parable that we started with, the teachers of the law are meant to be stewarding God's flock, and yet they would usurp power for themselves. And so Jesus pronounces a severe judgment upon them. In, in the quest for power, they would trample on those that are vulnerable. And this is something that we need to understand. Uh, because I, I, I personally believe that we all have some level of leadership in our lives because leadership is simply influence. And we need to understand that we're not meant to be influencing others to give us power. We're meant to use our influence to serve other people. In fact, the only way Jesus speaks of leadership is always about service. It's never about taking power and authority. All right, we're going to finish off uh, with the last few verses of Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 41 to 44. It says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you that this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on. 
As we close this section uh, of Mark uh, chapter 12, we find Jesus commending a widow who gave very little. Isn't it interesting that Jesus would actually take some time to sit in the temple courts and to observe these um, collection boxes. And he knows how people give. He knows how people sacrifice. He knows what people offer to God. And he sees these rich people who uh, would, would throw in their coins, making a big din. These boxes were probably, uh, these offering boxes are probably made of metal and, and their coins, of course, metal, metal and metal, making this clanging, banging sound. So people would know when the rich were giving, but this, no one would have noticed this widow. No one would have noticed this a lady put two little coins in there. But in proportion to where she is at in life, Jesus saw that and said, wow, how powerful. The culture of the kingdom is upside down. The culture of the kingdom is not about more, bigger power, but it's about trust, it's about faith, it's about, it's about servitude, it's about worship towards God. And I hope that this helps us to see that uh, starting with the parable of the tenants, we see that the people that are trying to take power, uh, take uh, recognition for themselves, are often working in a very evil mindset, an evil lifestyle. But those that are wanting to live in according with God's ways and responding to God's ways, uh, are offering their lives to God, that is something that God delights in. Let me just pray for you as we finish off today. Dear God, I pray that the revelation, the words that are spoken won't just be head knowledge for us, but it would actually move us towards action. I pray that you bring conviction into our lives, the area of our lives that are not in alignment with you and your principles and your ways and, and help us to see how we can make those changes, make those adjustments so that we are living in accordance with your word. I pray this in your name. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much for being a part of this week. Make sure you join your lift group as we discuss Mark chapter 12. Thanks everyone. Mm -hmm.